Good morning, everybody. Um, today, it is my honor to introduce you to our guest speaker. Um, we worked together for 20 years, been friends most of that time. We go through spells off and on, you know, maybe, but for the most part, we're friends. Um, so I kind of, Thursday, I said, hey, John, I need a few uh, credentials, just kind of what, you know, I, I, we've known each other, but to get down to the detail. And uh, he said, well, I was a youth pastor for 13 years. And I'm currently an associate pastor. So, you know, that's kind of the credentials. But I was like, what, when, when I think of John, what should I really say about him? And so I thought, well, he's one of those guys that he's got a heart for God, you know, and that's when you think of him, that's what you think. And then oddly enough, he sends me a PowerPoint and an email. What's it called? A heart for God. So I think we've got the right guy to deliver that message to you guys this morning. So without further ado, John DeBolt. <laughs> Well, those uh, 20 years with him, the first we were 10, we were friends. The second half has not been as much, but that's where we started off with a good start there. Thank you, John, for having me here. Thank you all for welcoming me to your church. It is an honor to be able to speak and share with you all, and it's even more honor to be able to worship with you this morning. So thank you for that worship time, and the kids did such a great job. Such truths in the songs, too. Like so it's, it's wonderful to be a part of church where you guys are teaching your kids such truths to walk around in their whole life with. And um, just an honor to be here with you all. Yeah, as I said, I've worked with John for you now quite a, as he said, for quite a while now. And uh, over time, we've become good friends and confidants. And when uh, thing, things are going uh, awry at work and I'm not sure what to do, I often find my way to his office and complain. So um, John, he's a, he's a good listener. So every so often he'll say, yep, <laughs> or, <laughs> or then that's, and that's about it. So, but uh, it's always good catching up with John when I get the chance. Often when I get a chance to, to speak, I've, um, I'll find that I talk often about the things that have been on my heart for a while. It's, it's rare that I open up scripture and say, boom, this is where we go. It's usually God's been speaking to me and saying, hey, here's some areas that I, maybe you need to work on. And as I prepare and think about those things, I often come to a text and then oftenly share about that. So if you think, wow, this is a, a pointed message, it's pointed at myself. I have some things I definitely can be working on. And as we're looking into our um, verse today, I ask you to look into Acts chapter 13. We'll be starting here. We're looking into verse 22. Even though this is actually not the text from my message, we're actually looking back into Psalms um, for today, but this actually references Psalms for us. There's Acts 13, 22. But God removed Saul, replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesus, son of Jesse, different J, Jesse, a man after my own heart, and he'll do everything I want him to do. Let's pray for the blessing of reading God's word. Father, we thank you that we could be here to study your word. We thank you that you've given us direction on how that we can be men and women who are after your heart. Pray your blessing upon this time in Christ's name. Amen. Now, John told me that you guys usually get out by 1, 1 so I should be done in plenty of time for that. So I'll, we'll, we'll target and aim for that. And, they, and Joshua in the back already said he can cut my mic if we need to. So we're, we got everything in place ready as we go. As I look at these, these verses, I, I think, man, I, I want to be a man after God's heart. And I hope that's your all's desire as well, to be a man or a woman who's desiring to be after God's heart. And when I think of this, that, that verse is kind of convicting. It's like, wow, that's, that's a big thing to, to, to measure up to, to be a person like David. But it's, it's also something that I think brings a lot of hope, that we can be this, that we can be that person. I mean, no, notice the verse doesn't say, and be perfect like King David. 
if you looked at David's life, that guy was far from perfect. But you see, as he made mistakes, and he made plenty of them, when he did, he was repentant. He came back to the Lord and said, hey, I, I, my heart's broken. I know I've done something I shouldn't have done. Lord, forgive me. And he'd make the changes he needed to. David's identity was in Christ. Identity is a big word today. It means a lot of things. And people throw it around in many different ways. And our identity is, is, is very important, especially during this time of COVID and all these different things. People have been shut away and you've been spending your time in just your house and not out and about with people. You start realizing who you are and what your identity is. I think of identity. And a couple of years ago, my, my wife and I got a phone call on a Saturday morning. I was helping a friend move. And uh, the bank informed us, said, uh, sir, did you just spend $300 at McDonald's? I mean, typically I do on a Saturday morning, but not this week I had to spend $300 at McDonald's. And then they asked if I spent a couple hundred dollars at Nordstrom. I'm not sure how McDonald's and Nordstrom work really close to one another, but you can get $300 at McDonald's and you go straight on a shopping spree in Nordstrom. But someone had done that with my information. So he said, no, that wasn't us. And my identity had been stolen there. And then I, I, it was a kind of a traumatic event. We had to cancel all of our cards and stuff like that. But as I was saying, identity is something that is is thrown around a lot today. I had a friend of mine recently was telling me that they've done research and Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and all these different things that people use for social networking, that many people actually have multiple accounts. And some of you may hear very well may have multiple accounts. You have ones that you share with your friends and your family and that you're that you share the, you know, maybe the biblical verses, the, the you know, the sun setting over a cool inspirational phrase. And then you have that other crew that maybe just for your coworkers. And they might have that one that's just a real you, where you post the things where you converse with people that you don't want other people to see, other people to notice. A lot of us have identities that we openly share with some, and then we don't share with others. We have sides of ourselves that we only want certain people to see. And we kind of try to maybe be one place at work, and one place at home, and then one place at church. I don't think that's what God's intent is for us. I think God wants us to be people who are seeking after him who constantly have that same character. Now, there's, there's obviously different levels of openness. You might not walk up to some person you saw at church and tell them everything about, you know, a heart surgery or some, something crazy you're having going on that week. But there is, are you the same character? Are you the same person wherever you go? No matter how many people, um, who, no matter how many, how many people really know the real you, no matter how many social media accounts you have, no matter what side of yourself you presented to people over the years, no matter what facade you may have put on, God knows the real you. God knows your heart, and he, deep, he knows you deep down in your core. And however that messed up person may be, that real you person is, God loves you with a never-ending, passionate love. I'm going to share here from Psalm 139. I know it's like, wow, he'd already preached a sermon. No, I'm actually just about to get started. So, once again, didn't cut the mic. We need to. And we're in Psalm 139. And we're going to read here through verse 1 through 6. And then final up in the verse 23 through 24. Psalm 139 says, O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. You know when I sit down or when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I am at home and I rest. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow after me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too wonderful for me to even understand. Let me skip here then to towards the end of the, the verse there, uh, end, of the, uh, end of the psalm, verse 23. Search me, O God, know my heart. 
test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out everything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. David's prayer to God was different than the prayer to the pagan gods of the time. So I think this is, you know, we're talking five, 6,000 years ago. Um, David had written this psalm. In that time, there was other people who were writing and talking to their gods. Now, their gods there, they viewed a whole lot differently than David and the Israelites viewed their gods. Their gods were the very absent gods, the gods who were very far from them, and they just hoped that they pleased them. They hoped that they did enough. They hoped that they weren't fickle and angry at them that day because that's what they were. They were fickle gods. They didn't quite know what was right, what was wrong. But it's interesting the words how David describes his God. He calls out to his God like a personal friend. God, you know me. You know me personally. You know who I am. You know why I'm anxious. You know the problems I have in my life. We serve a God who knows us personally. Not only does God know everything, he knows you. Not only is God everywhere, but he's here with you. Not only did God create everything in this universe and everything we see in the world around us, he created you. He created you and he cares about you individually. And God and David knew God on a personal level. And as I think about David, I think about the personal level that he knew God. He only had a small portion of the scriptures by that time in his life. We have the entire work of written word of God. And not only that, we have the Holy Spirit that works in our lives. So now we get to my three points. I know it's like, wow, he's already been talking a lot. Three points here. How do we develop a heart for God? The first point here is we allow God to search our hearts. We see that in verse 23. God, search our, my heart. Look if there's anything in me that doesn't please you. This is relational. This is a relational thing. It's a daily walk with God. Asking him to look into our lives. This isn't something that happens overnight, that we just become that perfect relationship with God where we know everything. Now, yes, salvation is an instant. It's a wonderful thing. But it's a continual walk as we, desire, we get to know God and we walk closer to him. See, my wife and I, we've been married for 15 years now. Unfortunately, my wife and my kids are at our church. They had some other ministry things they were going to be going to today, so they didn't join me today. But um, we've been married for 15, coming on 16 years now. Now, when I back in the day, we're talking 17 so years ago, I was set up on a blind date with my wife. So a friend of mine, a couple knew each other. I had seen her in passing before, but they set up a blind date. We went out there, talked a little bit, very awkwardly amongst a group of friends, left. She gave me her phone number. Now, for some of those who are much younger now, uh, the, then we had to flip the phone open and we had to push each individual number. And texting was like, that was not really a thing. Like if you did it, you had to, you know, three times to get that letter and the two times, and then you had to pay an extra 10 to 25 cents per text. It wasn't worth it. So I had a phone call with her and I was very anxious. As we, so I just had that date with her. It was about a week later. I did the whole thing. Like, how long do I wait? Do I wait five days? Do I wait two days? Is it wrong? Should I wait? Should I do? Finally, I got up the nerve to call her. And I had an agenda. I had an outline already planned. You have to do your basic salutation. Hi, how are you? Hope you're doing well. How's your week been going? Hey, I enjoyed meeting you, talking to you the other day. It was really good setting down. Would you be interested in going out this Friday? At what time can you meet? All that fun stuff. Had it all planned out. Now that phone call, when I called her, it went very much of, and I'm not even joking, about 15 seconds. Hi, how are you? Oh, that's good. I'm good too. Hey, I was wondering, yeah, I enjoyed talking to you the other day. Do you think maybe this Friday you want to go out again? Yeah, okay. Um, six, six o'clock work? Okay, I'll pick you up then. Okay, thank you. Bye. And that was the end of our conversation. And she still married me. So that's like, that's saying something. So as I tell you that, that brings into our walk with God. God's not expecting us to come there and just, God, 
have this long drawn prayer of deep inspiration, but it's just call out to him. As we build our relationship with him, that continues to develop and it becomes more and more of a personal thing between him and, uh, him and us. But why? Why do we want God to search our hearts? It's because we all have blind spots. Have you guys heard, I'm going to show on the screen, the thing called a Jahari window. It's a Jahari window. This is uh, the name, just because you know, just for the guy named Joseph Luft and Harry Ingram, they put their names together, Joe, Hari. So that's where the name comes from. But they put together this thing, and, and a lot of people follow it today. There's areas of our lives that we know a lot about. So you have known to yourself, known to others, not known to self, not known to others. There's areas in your life that you know a lot about. You realize that, hey, I enjoy this, and I talk to everyone about it. Um, I enjoy garage sales. It's a weird thing to enjoy. I know. I love garage sales. I saw a sign on the way to church today, and I thought, I might be late. But and it's, it's, it's a garage sale in January, too. Like, come on. That's, those are rare. So I love those. Both people around me know that I like, <laughs> I like garage sales. There's areas in our lives that um, you know a lot about yourself, but not other people don't know much about. Then there's areas that other people know about you that you don't quite understand and know yourself. There are. Believe me, if you can go and ask people, they'll tell you, oh yeah, no, you're really like a loud chewer or something like that. They'll tell you that you might not even know. Then there's areas that neither you nor other people may realize in your life. There are areas that you need, um, that we need to know and we need God to reveal to us. A great example for this is Paul, when he's writing in Romans, he says in Romans that if it wasn't for the law, if it wasn't for scripture, he would have no clue that coveting was a sin. He said, because of the law, I know that coveting is a sin. There's things in our lives that because of scripture, because God reveals to them, we know that we shouldn't do, that we need to do differently. There are areas in our lives that we need an honest friend that we can come to and that are going to speak truth into our lives. The biblical term for that is a wife. Sorry, that's a joke. Uh, I was wondering, you'll understand that. All right. Yeah, those people come tell the truth. Hey, here's an area you need to work on. Here's something you need to change. Here's something that maybe you could use a little bit of, be a little kinder in that area. John's actually someone I use that for work. I come up to his office. I, I bounce ideas off him to bounce frustrations. I said, sometimes he, sometimes he agrees. Like, yeah, that is terrible. Yeah, we should be upset about this. Other times he's like, you should probably think about that more. Maybe you're not entirely in the right here. And nobody wants that. Nobody wants the guy. They want you to go right along with you and say, yeah, that's terrible. Everything's terrible. But you need that friend who can tell you, no, you might be in the wrong here. John's done that on more than one occasion. Um, you need a friend who can do that for you who can tell you, Hey, you know, you might be off in the wrong, wrong avenue here, but asking God to search our hearts is it's an admission that, that God knows better than we know ourselves, knows us better. And it requires some humility, it requires a deep search into our own lives. I know I had a, um, a, a girl in, in, in my youth group one time and she was a, you know, a sweet girl. She needed to know Jesus. She, I don't uh, She wasn't a Christian at the time. And, um, but she, she was very rude and very angry and very mean to people. And one day I was speaking in a youth group and I talked about how, you know, God can change us and God can help mold us into the people that he wants us to be. And she said, no, 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 no. I was like, well, what, 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 what are you talking about, Dorothy? And she goes, we had a counselor come to our school and they said, you are perfect exactly the way you are. And there's nothing you need to do to change in your life. To which I said, yes, yes, there is. There's actually a few things that you could probably, that could probably change, um, in a very nice way, <laughs> but there are things, if we're going to spot in our lives, we realize there's nothing we can do to change and we're perfect, then we need to really call out to God and say, hey, God, search my life. Is there something I can be differently, do differently? Sometimes in some quiet times, ask yourself, what motivates me? What am I passionate about? Do you know we can do this for the right things for the wrong reasons at times? But ask yourself, what is it that makes me angry? 
at the end of the day, if I'm really upset about something, what is it? What is driving that anger? Am I angry because something's, you know, injustice was done and that God's name was profaned? Or am I angry because my pride was hurt because I didn't get my way? What makes you happy? What are the things, who are you when no one else is around? And once these things are revealed, are you willing to make the necessary changes to course correct those? We live in a very busy, noisy world, and there's a lot of things to distract us and to pull away our attention. And um, from the moment we wake up, you have the phone beeping, you have all the texts or anything you may have received overnight, and of course, we've got to make sure Facebook is up to date and everything's good on there. And then on your way to work, you're listening to the radio, an audio book, all the different things keep you busy. You've got noise all the time. I listened to a book by John El Elridge called um, Get Your Life Back. And I was listening to it, and it was a fascinating book. And he was going on about how we need to slow down and how we have too many things. We multitask all the time. We have so much going on. And I laughed at myself because I had it playing on like one and a half speed on an audiobook while I was mowing the yard. And I was like, got a man telling me in my ear I need to slow down and to take a moment to not try to rush so much stuff into life. And I'm listening to him at one and a half speed. Probably missed the point there when I was going through that. But when are you quiet enough for God to speak to you? Now, listen, God will come to you sometimes with a bullhorn. He will. You'll have it in your life where it's very clear God is, wants a course correction, wants some change in your life. But often, like he did with Elijah, he'll be that still small voice. And you're calling out to him, say, God, search my heart. How can I do differently? Prayer is a very important time. You need to find time to ask God to look into your lives. And your prayer time is just a, Lord, help Susie, help Becky, help Sandra, and help mom, help dad, and amen. Or are we spending time, God, Forgive me for times maybe I've not lived up to the standard you want me to. How can I do differently there? Charles Spurgeon once quoted Henry Melville in his sermon on this psalm, stating, I call upon you to be cautious in using this prayer. It is easy to mock God by asking him to search you whilst you've made very little effort to search yourselves, and perhaps even less in the results of that scrutiny. And look at that guy's beard. He, he knows what he's talking about. Like, that, that's, that's credentials right there. Now, seriously, though, if we look into our lives, if we see... If, if we say, God, search me, but you're not willing to change it. He's like, yeah, you know, you should probably stop kicking the dog. Yeah, but I don't want to. So no, if you, you need to start your life, if there's something that God's speaking to you, you need to make the changes you need to. And once again, notice this, this psalm, this psalm um, started with David acknowledging that God, you already know who I am. You know everything about me. But he still says, ends it with search me, search me, oh God. And I was pondering, why does he say that God knew everything about me? And then yet he says, search me. A lot of different commentaries have some views on what that could mean. But one thing I've thought up is we just daily need to come to God and ask him, search me again. There's no point of arrival. There's no place where you can check, say, yep, I've made it. I'm 65. I have everything going in life. Maybe I got a little ways to go. When I get to 65, I'll let you know. But as of right now, I have not made it. And I still need God to search my heart so that I can draw closer to him. And I think David is like the perfect example of that. So interesting time, then time. So this truth of this psalm was written just right after, written by David, right after he became king. And he says, God, you know my heart. Continue to search me. And we know that years later, unfortunately, David made a lot of mistakes. He thought a lot of things he ought not to have done. But yet he came back to God and asked him, help get me back on track. Continue to ask God to search your heart. And the second, allow God to remove any grievous way or wicked way within you. James Montgomery Boyce says a serious thing to pray this because it invites painful exposures and surgeries if we truly mean it. Mean it. Still, it is what every wise believer should do, should desire. Grievous is anything that grieves the Holy Spirit, that grieves the Spirit of God. Then how often are we concerned with whether or not we're grieving the Holy Spirit? 
I doubt many of us woke up this morning and said, boy, I hope I don't grieve the Holy Spirit today. Maybe you did. Maybe that's how you start each morning. I personally didn't. But if we had to stop every so often is, are the things we're doing displeasing God? Do we look upon the Spirit with awe and reverence when we notice something in our lives and God says, kind of checks our heart? And, and I hope you've all been there before where you've had a conversation or you've done something where it's like, no, no, I shouldn't have done that. Don't feel right for doing that. Are, are you you're making a change? Are you come back and conversing with that person? Are we making course corrections? We see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 to 32, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, fist for the occasion, that give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. How are we interacting with one another? And you realize that how we interact with one another, it either pleases or grieves the Holy Spirit. So if you have someone, even if sitting in the same pew, sitting in the same aisle as you here, and you're constantly having issues with, and you feel like you're lacking this moving in the Spirit in your life, then maybe you need to get something right with your brother or your sister. Go to them and say, hey, I've, whatever the mistake is, I'm sorry, let's see how we can mend this. Because God actually cares about our relationships that we have with one another. What does this look like when you found a grieve, grievous in the spirit? You come to God and you say, God, I want you to search my heart. God, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I want, you to, I want you to know me. And then God starts speaking to you about, hey, there's a certain way you've been in behaving or there's a certain thing you've been doing. Or there's a certain habit that you have that no one knows about. What do we do? What are we doing to that? One of the, one of the greatest signs of Christian maturity, maturity is the reverse gear. That when you realize that, hey, I messed up, something I shouldn't have done here, you can stop, you can go back, and you can make a course correction. Maybe it's going back to that person and saying, you know what, yesterday I handled that situation wrong. I got upset about something, and I ask that you forgive me. I'm trying, by the Lord's grace, to, to do better in this area. Once again, we're not talking about perfection, but we're talking about growth and growing closer to God. It's interesting, though, we look in Matthew, in, in Matthew 5, 30, when Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about what great lengths we should be going to get sin out of our lives. Mistakes we made. So if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Your eye, pluck it out. I'm not handing out knives today to cut any hands off. But I think Jesus was pretty serious that we should go to great lengths to make those changes in our lives when we're living out of tune with the Spirit. Whether that means accountability. You know, you're going to a situation you know is difficult. You know, you're going to a place that very tempting for you. Get a hold of your brother and say, hey man, I'm, I'm going down path here. I know something's busy this week. Please pray for me. Check in with me on Friday. Make sure that I was the man that I know I should be or the woman I ought to be. It's a, it's a humbling thing, but it draws you closer to God. And finally, allow God to lead you in the way everlasting. So just so you know, I still have a page and a half. So when I say finally, it doesn't mean like, hey, you got like two minutes. You got like a page and a half. Allow God to lead you in the way everlasting. That last verse, it talks about, and Lord, lead me into the path of the way of everlasting. This is not just a shallow, you know, basic, barely surviving Christian. This is drawing near to God. There's a better way. Other translations says, watch, Lord watches over our way with righteousness. Have you ever considered that the Lord watches over your way with righteousness? doesn't mean that everything's going to be rainbows and butterflies and every light's going to be green and the gas is going to be low prices and the political candidate you want wins and the Bengals continue on in the playoffs, which I sure hope they do tonight. But it does mean that we have God's assurance upon us. Then we can rest in him. In Jeremiah 6, 16, 
we read this and we come into this verse after the, you know the Israelites once again rebellious 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 they start doing well and then they fall into fall into sin and when Jeremiah 6 it says Jeremiah 6 says thus saith the Lord stand on by the roads and look and ask for the ancient ways where the good path is and walk into it and find rest for your souls but they said no we do not want to walk down that path in reference here this is um as reference in Jeremiah there's the ways that we can do to live this life everlasting in Jeremiah we won through the ancient ways God's written word if you're struggling to find God's direction trying to find God's will in your life start with opening your Bible it's the best place to start best absolute place to start God's written word trumps any views any thoughts any things that you have outside of it come to God's word even if I have something that sounds really cool today if it doesn't line up with scripture you can throw it out the window because it means nothing God's word is our standard for how we live our lives in the second way Described by Charles Spurgeon, who wrote an entire sermon off of these three words. I'm not going to read his entire sermon, but three words, the way everlasting. Within, he expounds upon what righteousness looks like and how we have everlasting everlasting points. When he says everlasting life, it points towards Jesus and the new covenant that we have with him. The point where we're no longer bound by a list of rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts. We're led by a love relationship with the creator of the universe. And who wants to have a relationship with us? And he writes there in this, and I'm going to—it's—I'm I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm reading excerpt for it from it. To the man, the man who 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 lives by this policy: the yeses and nos, and yes, I need to do this, 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 and this, and I can't do that, 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 and that. The person who lives by that, the man who lives by this policy, is like a sailor on a gusty day, whose foul wind against him, and he must tack about for his reach his first point. And after he reaches that, he hopes and makes it slowly to his next point, and then the direction after that, he continues on. But the man who has the life of God, who has a personal close relationship with God, follows the way of truth of God, is like the steamship which plows right along, neither tide nor wind or anything withstanding it. Such a man, having the law of God in his heart, knowing uh, would know how to walk and how to behave himself royally. His way is everlasting because he is not to stop every morning and inquire, how am I to behave today? What new law do I need to apply to my life? What new rule should I shape my correction? course correction. Instead, they know knows God personally and intimately. Walking in tune with the Spirit of God is to live this way. We need to regularly come to God and ask for a fresh filling of His Spirit. As read in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But we come back then to Acts 13 on 22. How do we become a man or a woman who is after God's own heart? We do all the will of God, both through His written word and living in a love relationship with Him redirecting our lives when the spirit speaks to us and says nope we shouldn't have done that so you know what i'm going to do differently ask for um ask for friends who help lead you along the path in closing allow god to examine your heart take time for this it's not something that happens automatically when god calls out an area that says hey you know what you need to change here you need to make a course correction make the changes repent call out to god for help Seek the better way, the way everlasting through. And you get this through understanding God's word. Study it. Live in spirit. Call out to God. The busyness of life has kept you from allowing God to examine your heart. Here and now is a change. Take the time. Set apart of your day, margin time, to spend with him. That if in this very service you realize that God's calling out a grievous way, something in your life that he's not in tune with his spirit, Repent. Make the proper course corrections. Call upon some friends to help hold you accountable. And if it's been a long time since you had a fresh and dwelling of the Holy Spirit in your life, now's the time to allow him to penetrate your heart once again 
to examine you and to live through you. Thank you.